Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. We've talked with our next guest in the past about joint replacements, who needs them, and why there's been some changes in how these types of procedures are done and where someone stays after the surgery is completed. But now we're going to talk about some of the great changes and ways that we're making orthopedics into a much more personalized, precision-based care. We might have heard of those terms precision medicine in other areas of medicine, like oncology, or even in cardiac care. But now we're going to talk about how this personalized approach is is happening in the orthopedic space and what are some of the ways that we are finding ways to personalize even things like joint replacements and where this might take us into the future so we can keep walking along and keep on going. My guest is Dr. Joe Vercatapine. He is an excellent orthopedic surgeon who has been one of my colleagues for the last, how many years has it been, Joe? About 10 years or so? Yeah, eight years now. Eight years plus or minus a COVID Mm -hmm. uh, pandemic or so? All right. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And last time we talked a little bit about who gets joint replacements. And this time I want to go over a little bit of that just to give a little background. So when we talk about joints, and being replaced, most common ones you mentioned before were like knee joint replacements and hip joint replacements, and those are the those are the main ones that we see for weight bearing joints. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely you know shoulder replacements and um, ankle replacements as well, but I, I think the knees and the hips you know are, are the predominant ones being done now these days. You know? And yeah, they're very they're get, getting more and more popular. So, do you think part of that is just because we're all getting older? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it definitely has to do with you know population, you know, the demographics and the the, the baby boomers, you know, being a large uh, you know segment of the population. But I, I also think it just has to do with you know people in general trying to remain active, you know, later into their life, and they see the potential, and they see their friends and family members getting them, and you know, just kind of see the the, the good outcome. So yeah, it's just it's just growing and becoming more popular, you know, even as the uh, you know, as the population ages. So now we've talked or we've heard the terms precision or personalized medicine in a lot a lot of different arenas, but how does this really focus on orthopedics? You know, when you see an individual, a lot of times in the past, you know, and I use I use various different analogies like chemotherapy, for example, we would give a particular type of treatment for a particular type of cancer. And now we're realizing maybe different cancers act differently in different people. So we're starting to tailor the treatment to that person based on genetics of tumors or genetics of the person. So, you know, we're learning a lot in certain fields. What have we learned about regarding personalization and orthopedics recently? Because that's been a whole movement that you know, we're really trying to tailor different types of joint replacements and surgeries to who needs them and what particular type is best for them. Yeah, so that's a great question. I think, you know, as the technology advances, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the parts we put in for joint replacements are, you know, similar to the parts we were using 20 years ago. But the way that we're doing it now, um, it's just far more advanced in the technology and we're, we're taking advantage of the technology. As we mentioned, you know, the last time we're, we have robotics now, computer navigation, you know, such things like that, where we're trying to really break down, you know, the individual patient's anatomy and, and look really, you know, tailor that joint replacement specifically to them. 
So, you know, the the robot, for example, for knee replacement primarily, but, you know, it's being used in hip replacement as well. Um, the idea there is to really, um, you know, take that patient's anatomy, take the, the balance of their knee, the ligaments, the, the tension in their knee, and try to, you know, match the parts that we're, we're putting into their body in such a way that it really optimizes their, their personal outcome. So it's not just, um, you know, doing things kind of in a, in a rough way, I would say, is the, put it in simplified terms. You know, the way we used to do it was a, a little more, um, you know, I'd say not as sophisticated. And so now with, with things like the robot and the newer technologies, we can really kind of hone in on exactly what we're trying to achieve. So I think, you know, robotics is definitely one area um, where that's happening. And there's certainly, um, you know, a lot of other areas we can we can delve into as well. Well, let's talk about the procedure. You said in some cases the actual equipment that we're using is similar to what we've used before. There are some new advances that I think are up and coming if they're not here yet. But let's talk about the technique you mentioned that might be a little different. So for people who may not understand what robotic surgery means, could you describe what that might look like in an operating room? Yeah, yeah. So... It, it's yeah, it's a little bit abstract, so bear with me if I'm getting too technical. But you know, in a traditional way of of doing, um, you know, a, a hip or a knee replacement, what, what we're trying to do is is match up um, parts that come in a variety of sizes, starting from very small to very large, and we try to match up those parts that the available parts do basically what what a patient's anatomy is. And you know, in the old way of doing it, it's it's fairly precise, but it's not um, it's not as accurate as as using the robot. With the robot, what we're doing is we're we're actually mapping that those bone um, those bone ends. In, in the case of the knee, the end of the femur bone or the thigh bone, and the top of the shin bone, we're actually mapping that down into millimeters with uh, with the robot. And then we use those measurements and the um, and the machine to, to basically give us estimates on what size parts we're supposed to use and kind of adjust where we're going we're gonna to put those. At the end of the day, you know, it's still the surgeon that's doing the surgery and, and kind of saying, okay, is, do I agree with what's, what's being put in front of me? Does this make sense with the patient, you know, with the anatomy? But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is, is put those parts in an optimal um, uh, orientation on the, on the patient's own bone. And that's you know, kind of a simplified version of it. I, I know I could go in a lot of directions with that, but does that answer your question or, or should I get a little more specific? Well, it does. I mean, I think part of what some people misunderstand is they feel, oh, you just press a button on a robot and it does something for you. Whereas in this case, you're still manually operating the robot itself and you're you're using the measurements that it's creating for you to help you do the surgery they're still you doing the procedure. You're in control of the yeah, robot or that, control of yourself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's actually different kinds of robots. I mean, there's autonomous ones and semi-autonomous ones and, and ones that are more passive. The ones that I'm talking about are more what we call the semi-autonomous ones. Um, that's where the robot um, is, is allowing you to, to kind of shave and contour the bone ends to receive the parts that we're putting in. But it's 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 letting you do it within the confines of kind of what you set up ahead of time, looking at the anatomy. So it it won't let you go outside of the boundaries, for example, of of what you set up um, 
looking at the computer screens and looking at the the, the, the planning screens. <clears throat> so you're still doing the surgery. It's just that the robot's kind of helping you do it in a very precise way without going outside of anywhere you intend to go. There are fully autonomous ones. Um, they're they're not as popular right now. That's where you basically you know set up the 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 knee or the hip to um, to basically allow the robot to contour the bone on its own. Um, those are not as popular right now, and uh, I mean they are being done. But there's I think there's still a long way to go with that before we're um, you know that's more in, in you know a more universal usage. So right now it's more the semi-autonomous ones are what we call them. So this might sound like a weird analogy, but, you know, I I was driving a rental car recently, and as I put it in reverse, I saw this green little square, yellow square, red square. So I was trying to reverse the car, mm-hmm. and it was kind of giving me alignment as to what would keep me out of danger, but I was still the one reversing the car, as right, opposed right. to a so, self-driving car. So we're not right. at the self-driving stage for joint replacements, but we have some guidance from the robot and from the computer simulation to kind of tell me where to go. So that helps me to stay within the parameters of, you know, not hitting a tree. Exactly, exactly. And it's, you know, it's, there's, there's different ways that the the robot, you interact with the robot, but at the end of the day, it's basically there to make you go exactly where you want to go with, with contouring the bone and making it ready for the for the parts that it's going to receive. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Joe Vercatapine about what are some of the new technologies in the implants themselves, and could smart technology actually make a difference? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Joe Vercatapine on the line. We're talking about some of the latest technology and advances in personalizing orthopedic care, in particular joint replacements, which are usually done on an elective basis unless there's a major injury or fracture of some type. And if you have the time to prepare, what are some of the great ways that technology can help us? Now, right before the break, we talked a little bit about the process of putting an implant in and how robotic surgery and computer simulation can actually help in that design so that the procedure is easier for the patient and it's actually more directed towards precision for the surgeon. Let's talk a little bit about the actual implants. So I remember way back, and I don't even want to date myself, but I will, back in the mid-90s when I was in medical school, you know, the types of joint replacements, there was like a small, medium, large, and that was it. And there was just one type, and that's what everybody had. But these days, there's a lot more of a nuance in the components, in the size, in the precision on how they can be implanted into an individual. What are some of the changes that have occurred over the last several years in the quality and changes in implants themselves? Yeah, so that's a great question. The, the, the materials have, um, have evolved over the, over the past uh, you know, several decades. Um, that's, that's been... Um, I think something that's that's been a great contribution to making the the parts um, last longer and, you know, patients being able to have these parts in their bodies, you know, for for many, many years. Um, 
we used to have uh, simpler metals. The metals have now we've moved more towards uh, titanium as like the base for doing, um, you know, hip replacements for the stems and for the cups that we put in. Um, and, and it's just a, that metal seems to work very, very well in terms of being, you know, compatible with the body and, and allowing, you know, bones to grow into it. Um, the way that we, uh, we now sterilize the implants um, has implications for kind of how quickly they wear out. So that's gotten a lot better. We're using, you know, newer types of ceramics and, and metals that are, uh, that are more, um, that are much more, much smoother than the, the metals we used to use. Um, what's really interesting though, and I think is where this is all going with, um, with smart implants. We're, we're kind of just on the verge of, I think some really big, um, big changes. It's already, they've already been released and there are companies now that are, are introducing what we call smart implants into the, into the, the field. And, and these are implants that actually can give feedback um, on kind of how they're performing and what's actually happening inside the body. And, you know, as you, you know, as you know, mobile devices are, are everywhere now, everybody's got one um, as the, uh, everything kind of goes from, you know, the desktop computer to the mobile devices. I, I think there's this, there's a huge opportunity here where where basically patients can get information, real time information from their their implants as well as their doctors. You know, their surgeons who put them in. If there's some sort of problem um, that that's kind of brewing, you know, sometimes we're what we're hypothesizing and what we have yet to see. But I think is where this will go is, you know, these implants will basically be able to kind of cue us in that there's some sort of issue going on. There's a lot of research being done on this right now. They, they, they've um, implemented some simple types of sensors and things into implants, but as this evolves over the next, you know, five, 10 years and more, um, I think it's gonna be very, very exciting for, for where this can go um, and, and for what it's gonna allow for, for patients, you know, especially as big data gets kind of better and aggregates data from hundreds of thousands of these um, joint replacements. Um, we'll be able to kind of almost develop what we what we think are somewhat predictive models for how these um, these implants perform, you know, based on certain parameters that, that we'll be able to, you know, kind of monitor in real time. That's kind of where it's all going. I know I'm speaking in very general terms, but um, I think that's that's the the really exciting frontier with with implants. Well, it sounds like if you have a population of people that have a particular implant and they have certain hobbies, you might be able to distinguish which particular implants handle the stresses of different forces on the knee or the hip with that activity better than others, or how can they, even in a way, getting feedback to modify, you know, so that, hey, maybe we need to go ahead and create a little bit more strength in this area or (laughs) position it in a different location in between certain muscles to allow for activity and mobility to persist. You know, you mentioned earlier that the components or the metals we're using are allowing them to last longer. I remember way back again, I'm dating myself many years ago, they used to say, you know, a joint replacement will last 10 or 15 years at most. And that was sort of a generous sort of a statement. How long do the average, do the average implants last now? Do we even know? Well, so this is where it gets a little bit tricky, right? Like we, we know what the, you know, if we put implants in 20 years ago, we can quote, you know, what we call survivor, survivorship statistics on those. And, you know, the, generally speaking, um, they, they perform really well. The, the problem is as we kind of tweak these, the, 
the metals that we're using and the, the sterilization processes and the things that we do in the lab that we know translate into better survivorship in the laboratory setting, we're, we still have to wait all of those years ahead to kind of see how long do these last over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. We think they are, the, the parts we're making right now are much better, at least the way they perform in the laboratory. They should perform, um, you know, in humans uh, as well, we hope. Um, it just, you know, time will tell. Um, yeah, I think in general, orthopedists like to be a little bit conservative in, in terms of telling people what, um, you know, what to expect. We don't want to tell you, uh, oh, yeah, you know, the, the, this, this joint's going to last you 20 years, no problem. I mean, it, it, it could last that long, but we don't know, right? It, there's so many factors that go into it, how much wear and tear, you know, people put on, on these joint replacements as this population right now. As they're aging, people want to stay active longer. They want to be doing a lot of these um, kind of higher demand activities. I think that's where things like smart implants are going to come into play. Like we're going to get data on on these types of activities. Uh, you know, when people perform them, how how is that affecting these implants, and what what are the stresses that are being seen from these implants, and and are they surviving under those kind of higher demand activities? Right now, it's it's mostly just theoretical because we don't have huge populations of of patients that, for example, you know, um, play competitive tennis with a knee replacement. You know, it's it's a hard thing to study. So you don't really know. And you can't, it's hard to, to to just give blanket statements for, for people. So I think that's where the exciting area is going to be is getting this, this data, you know, as we move forward and the, and the ability of big data and AI to really kind of, you know, tease out what, what are the potential problem areas. So what sort of information, you know, we've mentioned smart implants, and I think of some of the devices, you know, your your watch now can tell you your heart rate. There are some that will tell you an EKG. They can tell you your temperature, all sorts of things. What sort of information does a smart implant give to orthopedists? Well, right now they're, they're you know, fairly simple and pretty rudimentary, you know, things like, you know, how many steps are people uh, taking on these devices. There can be gyroscopes and accelerometers and, and whatnot inside the devices themselves so you can get kind of ideas on, on people's movement patterns. Um, but as the technology advances um, and with the way that the sensor technology especially is evolving right now, we're, we're thinking we'll be able to get a lot more data than just, you know, simple things like that. Um, you know, eventually it, it could be as um, it could be as in terms of like how much stress does the metal see in certain circumstances and certain um, uh, activities and how does that play out with the device how long it survives you know over years and years and years as you have you know tens of thousands of people walking around with these and then you have the data systems in place kind of on the back end with the with these um, companies that manufacture them where they're basically compiling this data and looking at you know okay where are the where are the failures occurring? Where are the you know the people having problems? You know, can they tease out from the, this implant data? You know what we should be looking out for. So um, it'll go right now. It's very simple to answer your question, but I think um, in the years ahead, it's going to get far more sophisticated. And yeah, I mean, you, you're going to have apps on your on your smartphone, your your Apple Watch, or you know, your smartwatch, whatever it is, but that are going to be able to give you some real-time feedback. 
It's a great time to be in medicine. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about where the next steps in orthopedics might just happen to evolve into. And I'm here with Dr. Joe Vercatapine. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Dr. Joseph Rakatapine, and he is an orthopedic surgeon specialist. And we're talking today about joint replacements, what is being done, what has been revolutionized, and where might medicine go next. So at the top of the show, we talked about the procedure of putting the implant in, and then we just talked a little bit about the implant itself and the potential for smart data. And you mentioned big data and AI, you know, a way that we could use artificial intelligence to sort of weave through large quantities of data coming either from implants or from patients or both to try and help us with predictive analytics as to how this particular device might stand up over time or what sort of stresses might be perfect for it might not be. Where where do you see the world of orthopedics going beyond that? I mean, I have to say from the last 20 years or so, it's been pretty incredible some of the amazing advancements that we've made. What would be your wish list? Where where should we head next? What else can be done in orthopedics that can help to really keep people moving for all of their lives? Yeah, I think oh gosh, you know, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot I could throw at this. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think that the kind of the crossroads between big data and AI are going to be are going to make some really. There's going to be a lot of, I think, findings that you know we didn't really predict, right? Things that, you know, all of this what we call dogma in orthopedics. You know, things that we do now. I think you know, big data and AI might kind of change a lot of that that kind of dogma and that thinking. Um, but I think also, you know, the whole, um, whole metaverse, the whole like idea of, um, you know, uh, augmented reality, that kind of stuff, like, it's kind of hard to explain, but I think there's going to be new ways of teaching orthopedics for residents and for, you know, for, for trainees kind of learning surgery Um you know, I think that's going to be super helpful. You'll be able to kind of like almost like flight simulators, like, you know, for, for pilots. We're getting, you know, things are getting very um, sophisticated in that world and training um, the way we're going to use um, augmented reality, mixed reality in the in the operating room um, to do some of the stuff we're doing with robotics. But, um, you know, kind of looking through, um, you know, a different type of lens where you can, you know, kind of see where you're putting implants and whatnot without using radiology. I mean, that's, that's on the horizon that's being done now. And, and there's, there's some really cool technologies that are coming out in that, that end. And then, and then I think, you know, restorative medicine, we have, we didn't even brush on, um, you know, kind of what, you know, will these types of joint placements we're doing now, where are we going to be doing it 20 years from now? I don't know. Um, that's a, that's a tough question. I think, um, there's been massive advances in, in uh, you know, this whole idea of restorative medicine. It's still pretty rudimentary right now. You know, you, you, you have, um, I oftentimes have patients coming and tell me about, you know, getting stem cell injections and things like that. I think, 
there's there's definitely some promise for some of these areas, but the, the research isn't quite there yet. And we're, you know, but there there's really exciting um, things that are, are being done in the laboratory that I, I think someday might might translate into you know, more biologic type uh, joint replacements. Uh, it could happen. It's, it's just hard to predict. Well, I sort of look at the cardiology world and the cardiothoracic no. surgery world, and when you think about you know, we still do valve replacements for the heart, and a lot of them are done through open surgery because there are certain situations where that is the best. But now they're doing also these these TAVRs, these transcatheter valvular replacements, that actually are yep. being done in a much more minimally invasive way. And it's not for everybody, but, you know, we did see that translate from laboratory models to starting off being done with patients with advanced disease to saying this is safe enough. Maybe this is an option for a lot more people. So we did see that translation of, of keeping procedures available and being able to select those and personalize the choice to the patient, to the individual in cardiology. I can't imagine it's much different in orthopedics. There may come a day when restorative medicine gets you to a certain point, and then potentially you mentioned biologic implants or even the traditional implants that we talked about earlier this evening could be, depending on the situation for the patient, could be personalized to what they need for their activity level and their age and and their other medical factors. I, I could see where... You know, the evolution may not be a revolution. It may just be a slow turning towards more personalization of what people need for their particular medical condition. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. I think that's where it's, it, the most likely way it's going to go is, yeah, it's just becoming much more personalized and much more um, kind of, you know, kind of based on, on taking all of what's out there with technology and making it, so that you know, patient have the best personalized outcome. Well, it certainly sounds like that's the way and the road that we're headed in, hopefully in the near future, to make sure that people get the care they need, the right care for the right person at the right time. Now, if people want to learn more or they want to hear more about joint replacements, they and if they're ready for a joint replacement, they can always be referred to orthopedic surgeons. You work in a department of several different physicians. How do people find you? Yeah, I primarily practice out of Straub uh, Medical Center as well as Polymomy. Um, basically, just um, either of the main uh, hospital numbers, you know, can get you to our office. Um, but, um, you know, anytime, yeah, you, if anybody wants to get in with us, it's no problem at all. We'll get you in. And the average time from when somebody might see you to when, you know, if they have a need to when they would have surgery, you know, sometimes people worry about it taking, you know, months and months to have that procedure planned, but if they're ready, this can happen on a pretty short basis. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it generally doesn't take too much time. I mean, we consider joint replacement a, a quote, moderate risk um, procedure. So it's not like having like an open heart or, a, you know, like a brain surgery or something like that, but it's not as simple as like, um, you know, like a, a hand surgery or something. So, you know, it's somewhere in the middle and, you know, we do take a lot of precautions and we want to make sure people are, are ready for surgery medically. So there's a little bit of what we call a clearance or an optimization time. But for the most part, um, yeah, we can accommodate people pretty well in terms of um, timing. And, you know, basically we work with patients just to, to see what works for them. If they want to do something, you know, relatively soon, we try to accommodate them. And if um, they have a, you know, longer outlook and they want to do something further out in time, we, we work with them as well. It's no problem either way. 
All right. And if somebody wanted to do something to help their joints today, maybe they don't yet need a replacement, but they want to do something good to keep their joints going, what's the best way to, to do that? Get out there, exercise, wor- do some walking? One word, exercise, yes. I think the, this is the hardest thing for us all to do, and the simplest thing you can do for your joints is keep your muscles strong, you know, keep them somewhat flexible, but really the biggest thing is just, you know, get get exercise and get motion, and that, that'll generally keep your, your joints happy. But um, it's uh, it, get, it does get tough with arthritis, and I totally, you know, get why people run into trouble later in life you got to do the best you can to just stay active and stay moving. All right. What great advice from the guy who does the surgery. Stay active, stay moving. I want to thank you, Dr. Fercatapine, for sharing your expertise with us today here on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. And you can hear the previous show we did with Dr. Fercatapine talking about joint replacements in addition to this evening's show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk more about health and fitness and staying active right here on The Body Show.